I'm Richard. And I'm Gary. And these are our incredible stories. Welcome to our listeners around the world uh, to a Salem Witchcraft Event Part 4. This will be our final podcast in the series. Gary, uh, I've got a, uh, something on my mind that uh, maybe you can help us uh, clear up a little bit. Uh, there's been lots of uh, information that people get from TV and the movies about the Salem Witch Trials. Uh, has Hollywood gotten this story right or not or partially? Well, I really think that's up to interpretation uh, based on what, what we know and, uh, and, and how much creati creative liberties have been taken um, by films to tell the story. Um, I talked about last episode, The Witch, which is a fictional story, but what it gets right is the ideas and feelings that people had about the, the folk tales and the... Um, the legends about witches, um, and even goes into great detail, uh, just obsessively into detail, not only how they dressed, but, I mean, the, the director, uh, Robert uh, Eggers, actually went as far as having the clothing hand-stitched, period materials. Uh, the houses were built the exact way that the houses should have been built during that period of time. I mean, he wanted his actors to feel that they actually lived in the time of the Puritans. Okay. So that film got all the historical details correct. You know, the fact that there is a witch in the film is complete fiction, but the way the story is told about the witch fits in exactly with historical documents of, of stories about witches during that period of time. So this is a story that could exist in uh, Massachusetts, a story that would have been told around the campfire or something to scare children away from being out too late or, or dabbling with things that they shouldn't. That, that is exactly what the movie is about. And so for that reason, it nails it 110%. I mean, they even speak in the tongue of Puritans of that time. I mean, you might have to watch it with subtitles because sometimes it's a little hard to understand what they're saying. But films, I think, like The Crucible, The Crucible does do a good job of telling the story of what happened in Salem, but it is an interpretation of that story. And they do take a lot of creative liberties to really make it a little bit more uh, appealing to modern audiences. Now, of course, that film, I believe, was done in 1995. Uh, so it it's a little bit more updated as far as the story uh, goes. But it still does a, a decent job. But it's hard uh, to to do everything exact uh, to the umph degree. So I think what we find in popular media is a balance. There is a lot of creative liberties that are taken, and there are some factual things, and it really comes down to the viewer uh, making up their own mind on what is fact and what is fiction. And really, if you want to do that, then you just take the time to do the research. Yes, and uh, I think most all of us, if we go to the movies to see a true story or a story based in fact, uh, based in reality, 
we we don't expect to have the uh, the movie be totally accurate because no. the movie makers were not out to uh, sit there uh, to have us sit there and and engage in a history lesson. They they uh, their purpose was to entertain us. Right, and that's that's what movies are meant to do. They're meant to entertain. So it, it's great that it opens our mind to some of these stories and and builds curiosity for us to go out and research it ourselves. I mean, that's mm -hmm. part of the reason why we're doing this is because um, you know we were back in October, uh, watching some of our favorite movies and uh, chit-chatting and, and talking about uh, you know Thanksgiving and trying to come up with some stories about that. And we started talking a little bit about the Salem Witch Trials. And so here we are. Yes. And uh, my hope has been over the past three uh, podcasts that we not just rehash or retell this story, but that we bring uh, to our listeners some very fresh information that they've never heard before that will astound them, that will amaze them and, and make them wonder. And perhaps, folks, maybe even you would be willing to go out and research this story a little further on your own, because I can guarantee you that we haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg on this story. I agree. And who knows what kind of interesting things you might find uh, in your own research. Oh, absolutely. Now, uh, tonight, we're going to discover the fates of our main characters that we've talked about, and uh, that will uh, conclude our incredible story of the Salem Witchcraft event. But uh, before we do that, I'm wondering, Gary, is this merely a 330-year-old story, or do you think it has some connections to today? Well, are you asking, do I think something like this could happen now? Sure. Uh you know, I'd like to say no, because I would think that people would be smart enough that they would believe that witches don't exist. Uh, not in the sense that I mean, you know, like uh, old women flying around on broomsticks. Uh, but mm, situations where people get in trouble or find themselves in a precarious uh, situation and, and try and get themselves out of it by making up a story, I definitely uh, believe that happens quite a bit. Um, but I think the, the strangest story that I have come across in recent times that would be anything close to the Salem Witch Trials, there was an incident that happened uh, back in, I think it was 2014. Uh, there were two 12-year-old girls who believed in the story of the Slender Man, which is a modern-day um, folk tale or has now become kind of a legend uh it started out as a video game but a lot of kids uh let their imagines run free and they believed in it and so these two girls believed that uh, they had seen this uh paranormal figure in the woods near their house and um had been told that uh, they would have to give him some kind of offering or sacrifice to keep him from uh attacking them or their family so they tricked one of their closest friends into going uh, with them into the woods where they would sacrifice her. Uh, they attacked the girl and left her there. Uh, now, she did survive the incident and was able to get herself um, to a place where she could find help and get herself to a hospital. But these two girls, um, one of them had convinced the other that this was real, that it was happening, that this this. Uh, paranormal entity, this evil entity, actually existed in the woods, and they believed in it so much that they were willing to take these extreme measures to uh, rid themselves of this imaginary curse that had happened. So, can it happen still? Yes. 
it's 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 bizarre how the human mind works and i think there's a lot more to it than just imagination i think you know you have uh, situations of mental illness that could play into that uh or other things um but i mean that's just an example right there of something modern day so a 330 year old story does have uh, some connections to today as i uh expected so let's go ahead now and talk about the fate of our main characters but first, let's look at the Paris family themselves. Oh, okay. Reverend Samuel Paris and his sickly wife, young son, and youngest daughter all left Salem Village within a few years. Uh, it became obvious they were no longer welcome. I wonder why. Why would they not be welcome? Now, here's a kicker that probably you don't know about. Paris did not take his daughter Betty with him, the one that got possessed. Uh, instead, he just gave her away. He gave her to a man named Samuel Sewell over in Salem Town to raise. Apparently, oh. he had had enough of her antics, so he just gave his daughter away. Wow. Uh, we don't know what happened to his 12-year-old niece, Abigail Williams. She did remain in Salem Village, but there's a possibility that she didn't live very long after all of the uproar. Remember that uh, neighboring pastor, and he said one of the afflicted girls died? Yes. We don't have a record of it, but uh, since all of the Paris girls lived, Abigail Williams is the only one unaccounted for, so could she have been the one he was referring to as having died? We have no record of her fate. And uh, on March 5th of 1692, the jail authorities transferred Sarah Good from Itzwich to Salem with several other suspects, and during that ride she repeatedly flung herself off from the horse in an effort to kill herself oh my gosh uh on july 19 1692 sarah good was hanged by the neck until dead with four other very unfortunate and innocent people on may 10 1692 sarah osborne died in prison here's the ironic uh circumstance around that She'd actually been released on the witchcraft charges, but she had to remain in a debtor's cell until all her food and keep bills were paid. Oh, hold on. What do you mean until her, all of her bills were paid? Why, why did she have to pay bills for being put in jail? Oh, in colonial times, uh, you didn't get a free ride in jail. Your family had to come up with money for your food. Uh, they had to come up uh, with money for whatever you needed, and they even had to rent the chains that bound you to the wall. Yeah, yeah, and so she left uh, a lot of unpaid bills behind. So she just rotted away in jail. Yeah, so she died in prison, but, uh, you know, because she couldn't pay her debts. And it wasn't even her fault. Right. Now, in 1693, you asked about Tichiba. <clears throat> Drum roll, please. All charges were dismissed against Tichiba. The jury foreman was Robert Payne, <clears throat> and he wrote the word ignoramus on the indictment. Now, I don't know if he was referring to Tichiba or her accusers. <laughs> That's a good question. Ignoramus. Can you imagine writing that on a, a legal document? But all I don't charges, think that would stand up in court today. <laughs> yeah, all charges were dismissed. Now, however, like Sarah Osborne, she also had money problems. Her jail bills also had to be paid, Gary. Mm -hmm. Now, understandably, Reverend Samuel Paris didn't want her back. So right. he refused to pay. Yet, ultimately, someone did, but 
this is a mystery. We don't know who it was. We don't know who paid her jail bills. Now, at some point during 1693, Salem jailer, by uh, his name was William Daunton, he submitted a bill to the county court listing unpaid fees for several prisoners, including Tichaba, and reminding the authorities that his own salary had been only partially paid for the last nine years. Mm-hmm. So when families didn't pay the bills for the prisoners, even the jailer suffered. But when the mystery man paid Tichaba's fees... William Daunton recovered part of the back salary that was owed him for nine years. Oh. Who did it? We don't know. One final question. Was Tichaba really Indian? And some modern scholars think not. However, her white contemporaries, as I've mentioned earlier, certainly believed it. And one of her jailers listed her as Indian. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with the idea that uh, she was uh, Caribbean Indian. And one final word about Justice Hawthorne, who conducted uh, some of those infamous Salem witchcraft trials. One of his descendants was so embarrassed by the family connection that he added a W to his last name. Justice Hawthorne didn't have a W in his name. But one of his descendants added a W to his last name. Hawthorne became Hawthorne. Nathaniel Hawthorne. And Nathaniel Hawthorne became famous in his own right with a number of incredible classic novels like... That's true. Oh, I'm trying to think of them right Scarlet Letter. Oh, yeah, The Scarlet Letter, yep. And uh, was it Seven Gables? Yeah, The House of Seven The House of Seven Gables, yeah. So all of his, excuse me, all of his novels have this uh, New England setting. Yeah. Some of them go back to the witchcraft times, Mm -hmm. but he rejected his true family connection with the man who was the main justice at the witchcraft trials. Right. Now, I have a couple questions. Uh, Number one, how did the girls get found out? Who confessed to lying about all of this? And, I mean, clearly they didn't get punished like everybody else got punished, but... And uh, I'm not sure that that will ever be known, but it'll be worth searching through the manuscripts once again to see if we can find out that part of this incredible story. Um, Modern day Salem, is it in the same spot? Yes, uh, but they've um, changed the name of Salem Village because it was so infamous. If you were to uh, visit Salem Village today, you would have to go to a place in Massachusetts called Danvers. Danvers, Massachusetts is what was once Salem Village. Oh, I did not know that. Let me say that we've touched the tip of the iceberg with this month's incredible stories. There's a lot more to this story. So we invite you, our uh, faithful listener, to... Uh, explore this story on your own you're going to find some more incredible things that we haven't even brought up next year maybe we'll uh, explore some other unusual aspects ourselves and introduce some different accusers and victims Uh, this truly is a a never-ending story very interesting all right well as always i'm richard and i'm gary and that was an incredible story